Welcome to The Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. Hey, welcome to our listener mail, listener comment program, because it's more than just mail these days, stuff from Facebook and Twitter as well. It's been a while since we've done one Stop of these. people randomly yell at us on the Yeah, street, yeah exactly. You know? <laughs> right. But, you know, we plan on doing uh, more, of the, more of these this year. We've kind of gotten away from that a little bit, uh, as well as more of those kind of uh, deep dive debate shows where Jay and I, uh, in the past, we did them where we kind of really dig into one or one or maybe two issues, that sort of thing. So expect more of that in 2018, starting, you know, right now with with this, uh, with our responses to some of your questions, comments, critiques, that sort of thing. So you ready to go, Jay? Okay, let's have at it. Okay, first, we'll start with uh, Dick, who posted in the comments section on politicsguys.com a while back, says, uh, in part, it doesn't matter how many times you and Jay talk about tax reform and how many credible people on many sides you have on to discuss the economic returns for tax reform. Jay is unable to internalize the idea that tax cuts do not and will not pay for themselves. I do not understand the mindset of the vast majority of Republicans when it comes to that. Many Democrats give the right the benefit of the doubt and agree that a portion of tax cuts will help decrease, yet not eliminate, deficits caused by tax cuts. However, the right can't take that for what it's worth, that is the truth, inside of arguing over just how much it would help decrease the deficit, I think he meant instead, sorry, they feel the need to go way overboard and assert that it will actually pay for itself and even lead to a surplus. Jake. What is it with you and the Republican Party as a whole for the inability to process facts and adjust away from personal belief to factual evidence? There is no better example of this than climate change. The Republican Party, Jay included, as he mentions many times each episode, loves to toss out the word principle whenever they are in a corner. The very definition of principle is a fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior or for a chain of reasoning. Whereas the definition of a fact is a thing that is indisputably the case. I know it is hard to understand the difference between a belief and fact, but it is time to realize that the past should stay in the past and we need to start moving toward fact-based evidence and not something that you heard your great-grandfather say that his grandfather told him over a hundred years ago. So there you go, Jay. Um, what do you have to say about that? That's clearly directed toward, towards well, you. I would, yeah. Grandpa was always talking about tax reform, um, but no, uh, I, I think first of all, the the use of the word fact here, I think, is is what's 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 troubling. And tax the the tax reform debate that we've had in large part about how how much and to what extent uh, these tax cuts pay for themselves, and to what extent they add to a deficit over ten years, those. Those so-called facts are based on projections, uh, and as, as Yogi Berra famously said, uh, predictions are difficult, especially about the future. Um, the one of the assumptions uh, throughout uh, that the, uh, the tax reform debate was that uh, growth would be essentially capped uh, at an average of two percent a year. Uh, if those projections are wrong. Uh, then the deficit would be lower or perhaps eliminated uh, if they're wrong, even by a little bit. Now, Mike, I think you would agree that the growth this year, uh, I don't think we have the final 
last quarter's in, but uh, it was over 3%. Um, the last quarter may be even higher. Uh, and, and to me, that's, that's what we're talking about. I'm, that, what I'm saying is I'm, I'm not willing to accept projections as facts. Um, and, and I think if you look at the, the body of work of the group doing the projections, uh, they have been wrong uh, more often than they've been right. And sometimes they've been spectacularly wrong. So they were spectacularly wrong uh, during the Reagan era when this was sort of the same same debate was had. Uh, there was a conservative CBO scoring saying, no, 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 you're never going to achieve that kind of growth. Uh, uh, and and uh, the, the economy blew by that record by sort of orders of magnitude. Again, it was talking about, well, there might be 2 3% growth, uh, and uh, it, it ended up in the, the 4 or 5% range. Um, so that's, that's, that's where I'm coming from. It's not a, a matter of I'm, I'm saying I'm refusing to accept facts. Uh, it's a matter of... Uh, the facts aren't in, and you're, we're making policy based on best guesses, and the best guesses by human beings uh, who uh, are, are often wrong. So um, that's that's where kind of, and and look, a couple of years from now, we will look at this, and Mike said it, and I've said it, and we'll see what the numbers say and what the projections are, and we'll see who's right. In a lot of ways, and in a lot of ways, I mean, the global warming is sort of a, a, a separate issue, but um, I, you know, I've said before, I don't dispute the science of global warming, uh, but I do dispute the the dire predictions uh, that that we're typically uh, hit with in order to justify uh, certain certain uh, policies uh, that may or may not affect uh, that that climate change. And again, if you look at the track record of the people making these predictions, uh, they are often wrong and often very wrong. Uh, so that's that's I think my my thing is is I I have less faith in the predictors uh, than uh, uh, than uh, Mike does. I, I think Dick's point and I would agree with it is it's not just uh, predictions. It would be one thing if it were a bunch of lefty economists saying that, but it's of course it's it's both it's both left and right economists. Okay, you know I've mentioned a number of times before. One of the most conservative economists you're going to find is. Glenn Hubbard, who was George W. Bush's uh, uh, one of the chief architects of that massive tax cut, even he, when I talked to him, said, hey, these things don't entirely pay for themselves. And it's not just sure. projections, it's past history. That's never been the case. And so I think the concern is that, you know, you're saying, well, they but, but could I would, be but I would argue, But I would argue past history, though, that, that again, the 2% growth is well below what the average past history was. Now, I understand your argument that this is the Democrat argument. This is a new normal. This is a different economy than what we had when we look back historically. And, and therefore, we can't expect uh, that same robust growth. Uh, but uh, I, I would uh, disagree. And let's let's wait for the numbers to come in. Um, I think if there are anything yeah. like the numbers this year, uh, actually, I think this year we're under three percent uh, for 2017. The final figures uh, are going to be, I believe, are under three percent. Actually, so I think you're. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I, I'm lying. No, you're not lying. Of course, you're not lying. But but, but I think let me, let me see what I can find here. I just pulled up no. the. I but, but certainly, the but data certainly above. The, go ahead. But above two percent. Uh slightly. I believe so right around two point five percent. I believe is what I have here. But even even I believe uh, the Treasury Department said that the only way these things actually pay for themselves is if Congress would implement every single thing that uh, or that we that wouldn't be 
uh, wouldn't increase the deficits if Congress implemented every single thing that President Trump wanted, including his budget, which Congress said essentially was dead on arrival, and that was Republicans as well. And so I think that's that's the point. Now, climate change, that's a that's a different issue. I would also tend to agree with, with, with Dick on that, though you and I have talked about that at length uh, in, in other shows as well, certainly. C- CNN, the good, the good people at CNN, uh, Mike, the, the right-wing, right-wingers, they are saying— uh, that an annualized basis, this is just uh, through July through September, uh, economy grew 3.3%. Uh, initial reading on third quarter growth uh, is 3%. Now, again, this is this is from a little while ago. Um, but uh, well, if we go to, let, let's just let, I mean, and we're kind of arguing, we're not really arguing here, but the, the St. Right. Louis, the St. Louis branch of the Federal Reserve, which I would say is probably the, the, the best place to go for that because they have this great site, by the way, folks, if you're ever St. Louis, what do you expect? Well, if you ever want to geek out on economic data, uh, they have a, a site called, uh, well, it's called Fred which is for uh, Federal Reserve economic data, amazing source of charts and graphs and all the economic information, domestic economic information you'd ever want. That's my first go-to place for this. They indicate that percent change of gross domestic product in 2017, quarter one was 1.2%, quarter two was 3.1%, and that's the most recent data that they have. So there you go. So anyway, let's move on to our next question. Uh, ready, Jay? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Now, another listener, actually, uh, I guess a former listener, uh, it turns out, uh, writes, while you and Jay are both very cordial with each other, I think part of why I've lost interest in your podcast is because you both aren't affected personally by many of the issues that you talk about. For example, I appreciate when you raise issues about racial and gender inequality and point at the ways that policies are sometimes created to oppress certain groups. That would probably be me more than you, Jay. Um, but, I, but I don't feel like you have much at stake in those conversations. I'm not saying that you don't care. For the record, you clearly do. And it shows in how these conversations end. Well, I guess we'll just agree to disagree on that. I want to see some of these issues explored more deeply, and I would like to see guests that are more diverse in their experiences. I appreciate many of your guests have formal education or occupations in the field that they occupy, and that's an important perspective to have, but I think that's a very narrow perspective. I'd like to see more activists, investigative journalists, and perhaps even listeners on this show. Also, as someone who is more liberal than mainstream mainstream Democrats, I feel that your role as the liberal co-host, this would be me obviously, serves to marginalize the voices of more liberal people. You're on the more moderate or even conservative side, and I think that on some issues, that's a problem. In the same way that Trey joined to represent another side of conservatism, I think you could all use another voice to represent another side of liberalism. So there we go. Now, there's obviously a lot there, um, and I think it's mostly directed, I guess I would say, at me, would you say? So I, I guess I can take this one. Marginalizing um, everybody. Notice that conservatives never use the word marginalize. We just don't. Well, they use that. They tend to focus on the elite's war on X, Y, or Z, something like that, whether it's Christmas or coal or what have you, that kind of thing. So I think the the, the feel of, of grievance and unfairness is the same, but you're right. The vocabulary is, is certainly 
different. Uh, well, and no, a lot of it's directed at you, and, and rightfully so for uh, for dropping the ball. Um, but um, well, I think no, no, I, I, I would I, I would I want to respond just to, to, okay, to one ahead. thing. There there is there's sort of the idea in this country, and it's an unfortunate one, that unless you you have lived a certain experience, then and you don't have the right to have a hold an opinion on it. Uh, I think that's short-sighted, and I, I think that's that's uh, one of the reasons we're sort of in the mess we are, because we, then we, we necessarily can't talk to one another or, or about one another. Uh, uh, so, so I think, uh, look, more experience is great, and, and uh, you got to reach out to, to, to those to, to get perspectives. Uh, from from different folks, and I think we we work on doing that. Uh, there's also something though to, to say that there is a, a let's call it a common human perspective, uh, where you can have uh, empathy for for others uh, in the human race and sort of get a sense of 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 what they feel and 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 try to put yourself in in their place, and and that's that's how we how we grow uh, as as people and as a as a society. So. Um, uh, you know, there, there was, and I think this was a, of a, what I was reading, uh, uh, probably, you know, six months ago or so, but, um, a piece by, uh, professor Robert George who said he, he's troubled by, uh, you know, students who would write things, uh, that would say, you know, as a, as a person of color or as a woman or as a, uh, whatever, uh, you, you, want to want to, want to label, want to put on it. Um, this is how I feel. And or this is what I believe. And his point was was look, you you if if we put ourselves into these these little brackets, these little categories, and uh, you know your beliefs are based on on uh, on certain things, and you can't get beyond those, uh, then uh, the universities aren't 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 doing their jobs to uh, tell people to or teach people to 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 look for that broader human perspective. Sure, and I I would agree with you to a point. On that, I would say that uh, personal uh, experience, personal belief, certainly can and should inform views on things, but it can't be, I don't think it should be the be-all and end-all. Partly, I said it as a social scientist saying, you know, uh, anecdotes are not evidence. Your personal experience may not be generalizable, and that's, you know, I think that's very important point to make but that's not to say that it can't be very useful and valuable and and to agree with you on another part of what you're saying is that just because you don't have that personal experience that means that you may lack a piece that someone else has but that doesn't completely delegitimize your argument from other grounds and so on that I think you and I largely agree now now as to some of the other critiques sometimes I'll pick up a book and and I'll I'll read the book and I'll be kind of bummed out thinking that it wasn't the book that I hoped it was. The author didn't write about the things that I wanted him or her to write about. And, and in a way, I think there's part of that here is that, is that, you know, the politics guys, we're a certain type of podcast We're we're centrist. We tend to be, I wouldn't say agreeable for the sake of being agreeable. We don't shy away from conflict, but we do search for ways that we can kind of, well, common ground, things that we can agree on. And I think, you know, it's valuable to have fiery activists and that sort of thing and to get those views. But my feeling at least, and I think your feeling too, Jay, is that there's already an awful lot of good stuff like that out there. And so that was not 
that was not what we intended to be because if people want that, there's, you know, like if, if you're, if you're a fiery liberal, Hey, listen to pod save America and you're going to get that kind of thing or shows like that. And those shows are hugely popular, but I think we saw a big problem as being that people were inundated with only that. And we wanted to be something different than that. And so that's out there for people who want that sort of thing, but that's just not who we are or who we're going to be. But that said, we certainly recognize the value of diverse views. And when I try to find guests, I absolutely try to look for people who have diverse views. And I've had some people from the far right and some people from the Remember far Joe? left. Remember Joe? Yeah, Joe. I you mean, need to bring back, bring back Joe. I mean, there, there are people <laughs> like that from the right. I brought people from, from the far left. But yeah, more of the people that I am temperamentally going to be attracted to and the more of the people that kind of represent what I think is sort of the politics guy's ethos are, are people who may have certainly partisan views, but they're people who have really made an effort to understand the other side and, and possess a certain, I guess I almost call it intellectual humility in a way. You know what I mean, Jay? I mean, I mean thought, thought, thoughtfulness, I think is, is, is what, is what we, I mean, yeah, you, uh, we're not here to just sort of spew talking points or say, yeah, you know, yay team, uh, but to give a considered approach. Uh, to consider the other side's arguments and where we're, uh, applicable, rebut them, uh, we're not ag- agree. And, and look, yeah, the Mike, Mike's right. The, the, the reason we started this, uh, was in large portion to show that you can have political disagreements, uh, and argue vociferously and, and just not be a jerk. I mean, I think that's, that's sort of the, the thing. And, and there, there is a, a a line of thinking that uh, you know maybe to win in politics you have to be a jerk, uh, and sometimes that that plays out. Um, but if you look at the bigger picture, is that the world you want to live in? Uh, and my sense is that uh, our our writer uh, is probably not pleased uh, by how that played out in real life, uh, looking at the presidential election. Yeah. Well, you know, and the other side of that, Jay, is that. Uh, you can you can disagree without being a jerk, but also you can disagree without ascribing malice or evil to the other side. And to me, that's that might even be more important because in so much of what I hear, especially when we tend to get more toward the extremes of the right or the left, is that these people hate America, that they hate certain groups and they want to see the the, the grand American experiment fail. And I just don't buy that. I know you don't buy that. And you know, we want to push back hard against that sort of thing. And so that's kind of the tension. While I respect, you know, that people can have far left or far right policy view, so often that gets so entangled with this sort of visceral, emotional, well, hatred of the other side. And and that can be difficult for me to kind of pull apart. And so finding guests who can represent these views without characterizing the other side as as evil uh, in some way or another, uh, that's 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 very tricky to do at times, unfortunately. Yeah. And I want to throw in one more thing. And this this is, um, you know, as far as our personal experiences, I think there's there's maybe some assumptions in there that that uh, about our you know, like you and I's personal experiences really warranted. Uh, and that's that's because, um, you know, you don't really know everything someone else has been through. And each person is unique. 
Um, uh, and and the idea that uh, okay, we're two white guys, and and that's that's the end of it. Uh, um, look, Mike Mike has had uh, a lot of experiences, uh, you know, particularly in the military, um, that that are are very different than what you might expect him to have had as a uh, uh, ivory tower professor. Um, uh, likewise, I I tend to play the role of the uh, uh, patrician scholar, um, so, you know, you're sitting ensconced in my, uh, uh, my woodlined, uh, study. Um, but, but look in, in, in real life, I, I grew up in a Rust Belt, uh, town in, uh, uh, in Ohio. Um, uh, in, in terms of, I, you know, my, one of my uh, jobs I, I did in college was, uh, teaching English as a second language to immigrants. Um, uh, I've, uh, you know, again, Mike, Mike interned for the Heritage Foundation. Um, so, I mean, there's what, what I'm trying to say is there, there are a lot of things that, you know, through our, our past, we don't actually get into because they're not relevant, but, um, uh, uh you well, ought not and, to, ought not to see us yeah, as stereotypes. But, but in fact, they, they are relevant, right? We, we don't talk about them, but certainly they inform our views. And, and I just, when you said that one thing, I thought I could just hear listeners and all listening, what Mike interned for the heritage foundation. That's yeah. That's, well, I'm sorry. I outed you. <laughs> yeah. That was a, in my previous lifetime. Absolutely. I was, I was certainly far more of a fiery conservative than, than, than Jay was. I was always trying to pull him to the right. In fact, uh, that's a, but 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 you would agree, no, in that in the, when you interned there, I mean, those were, you know, you may disagree with them now, but they yeah. were perfectly reasonable, decent, nice people, right? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. that's and that that's my point. That's part of what informs my experience. I've I've you know spent a lot of time in my formative years with people not just of the right but of the far right, and they were some they were some just amazing, decent, thoughtful, wonderful folks. And that's been my experience. You know, I, I tell people that about Joe all the time who I've had on the show and people just like, this guy is just awful, but he's one of the kindest, most gentle, nice people in, you know, in personal relationships that I've ever known. And, and that is my experience with people when you get to know them almost, you know, across the board. And that's, I think, part of what we're, what we're about here. So anyway. Moving on. Next a question, Jay, uh, to you. Uh, asked on Twitter from a C from a listener C Dubs. Uh, he writes, Jay is described as a GOP strategist in the show opening. Uh, I would be interested in his soliloquy on how his Burkean ideals align, if at all, with the current Republican platform. Okay. I really like that uh, question. Yeah, no, that is. Um you know, and I I guess there are uh, first of all, there is there is the ideal. Of, um, you know, if you're sitting down uh, reading a book or writing a book, saying, "Wow, if 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 I were if I were really in charge, this is how government ought to run. Uh, this is how things should be." Uh, I would I would go with that Burkean uh, idea, and, and Burkean, you know, conservative being the, the idea that, look, the government ought to be limited, uh, and that the most important uh, check and balance uh, on on ourselves, the best way to run society is is the way we have done so uh, traditionally, uh, and through through our older institutions, uh, through you know the family, the church, uh, the business, the the um, uh, you know community voluntarily organization. Uh, that so much of of the business of our lives uh, can really be be regulated and is better regulated uh, by these types of entities uh, than by the government stepping in. Um, 
So, and, and that's that's not to say, you know, often when you say Burke and traditionalist, people say, oh, what about them? But there are a lot of traditions that, that ought to change. Uh, but uh, Burke would tell you they ought not to change uh, simply for no reason uh, or or on whims. So, um, I think that's that's probably just so people know what we're we're talking also, about. Also, yeah, um, let me let me just chime in here. Just a few things because, of course, I'm something of a, a, of a, a Burkean as well. Too, yes. and, and there's also these related concepts of sort of a, a ring of concentric circles, and that and that things should be as handled as close to that center ring, which is basically the family, as po- as reasonably possible. So you know, you have maybe the family, the extended family unit, the the uh, the neighborhood, the community, the 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 state, and so forth and so on. You push things down to that closest level you can, and and build based on that. And then when things change, because it's more responsive, more democratic, and and again, it's it's yeah, more reflective of the community that that you live in. Exactly, and and that when things change, that certainly uh, they can change and they should change. It should be to the extent possible organically and bubble up from these lower units basically right and that and again that sort of you can sort of see that in the the conservative position that uh, there are a lot of things that ought to be handled by the states rather than the federal government um, uh, and and you know the state's more responsive and it, again more organic and but, but but anyway setting aside that's sort of what Berkey and conservatism is about in, in a nutshell uh, so yes, in the perfect world, uh, that's where I'd be. But we don't live in the perfect world. We live in a world where uh, people run for office, and you have to select the lesser of two evils. Um, uh, sometimes the lesser of two evils in a primary, and then the lesser of two evils in a general. <clears throat> so uh, that's you know that's the way the uh, the world works. Uh, so while I would support um, candidates that that have that same worldview, uh, they're not always out there. Uh, they don't always live up to uh, what that that uh, worldview is, uh, and also it, part of part of being a Berkeley conservative is is representing the uh, diversity of our our country or recognizing the the diversity of our country, and and realizing that not everyone is going to think like a Berkeley conservative, and it's you know you you have to make accommodations, and and I think there the other piece is political parties in our country. On the one hand, yes, they're they're ideological, but but there's more that goes into them than simply ideology, um, uh, and and often you know there are funny particular issues that are are regional that are are peculiar to um, uh, one group or another, um, and and parties are um, again it's not that there is one party you know handbook. I mean, there's a platform, but that is cobbled together. By sort of a coalition of of different different interest groups, uh, so uh, I, I guess you know if you ask me what's my my view of uh, the Republican Party now, and um, I've said this I don't know how many times. Uh, Donald Trump would not have been my candidate of choice. He was not my candidate of choice, um, but uh, there he is. Uh, likewise, uh, there are some members of Congress I I, I like better than others. Uh, but, uh, but it is what it is. And, uh, uh, I, I think to the extent I, I, I do anything, I, I try to keep that, that Burkean spirit alive, uh, on, on the podcast, you know, what I personally like. And, and the other piece of this is, you know, on the show, um, I don't see my job as necessarily to espouse or to, uh, preach a certain version of conservatism. Uh, a lot of times it's to say, here's what the, 
the general conservative consensus is or the position is. Uh, and, and just to sort of also give analysis of here's what I think is actually going on from a often procedural standpoint. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm in sort of a similar position in terms of ideals and reality. I mean, my, my ideal president would probably be some interesting combination of, uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Bob Dole, and, uh, Barack Obama, you know, <laughs> it's a really odd kind of, uh, you know, mixture there. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's not what you work with, what you with what you have to work with in the real world, just as you pointed out. So, all right, we got next is a comment from somebody who used to be a financial supporter of the show, but after one of our shows decided that he actually could. And here's why he said, uh, I despise, oh, no. yeah, I despise the tax reform episode. And frankly, in an era of Roy Moore and Donald Trump, I'm tired of conservative rhetoric. It's really hard not to actually hate conservatives for what they've done blithely to the rest of the country, and the tax bill is exactly that. It's targeted at Democratic voters, students, teachers, and high-tax states, all of whom get tax increases while private jets and golf course tax exemptions remain. It's sickening, and so was your analysis. Now, I, I thought this was... I think it was much more directed at... That's sort of what we were talking about a minute ago when we talked about the you know, vilification. But, well, yeah, you know. I, I think that kind of fits in. It's all of a piece. I think it's directed much more at me uh, because folks might not recall, but what I said about the tax bill was on the corporate side, I think there was a lot of stuff that actually made sense. The, the big problems I had, I, mean, I certainly didn't think the corporate side was perfect, but on the individual side is where I had the bigger problems. And in fact, there was some bipartisan agreement that our corporate tax system needs some reform. And, and I ultimately was against the program, but I, I clearly, you know, this, this listener and a number of other listeners uh, had a problem with the fact that I wasn't just completely against it. And, and yeah, I, you know, that's sort of my default mode is to you know, say, well, what are things that maybe both sides can agree on that we can build on from here? I want to try to, you know, start with agreement and build out from there. Whereas in so much of what goes on, people start from differences and work out from there. And I think that's just not, that might feel more emotionally satisfying, but in the end, I think it just doesn't get us where I really think conservatives and liberals, most of us, want to go, and that's to a better, stronger, more prosperous America. And so sometimes we're going to lose yeah, supporters no, I, I because of that, right. and, and that's, that's okay. You know, it's too bad, but that's just the price we pay, I think. So, all right. He'll come back once he starts, once he, uh, once he sees how much more he's saving and withholding uh, come February. <laughs> I imagine the financial contributions will resume. There you go. Let's hope so. All right. Um, uh, let's see here. Next, we have a listener, Sean, who writes, who would, who would be the Democrats' best chance to defeat Donald Trump in 2020? I suspect not the current crowd of extremely liberal candidates like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, but rather some relatively moderate governor you never heard of, like Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper or North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper. Also, do you think that John Kasich will run against Donald Trump in the Republican primaries? I do. So that sounds like there's a question for you and a question for me. Let me take the Democratic side. I honestly am not looking past 2018 at this point. A lot can happen. When you take a look at who past nominees were, uh, it, they can, I mean, at this point in time, anyone's guess. And so I don't really get into that prognostication this far out. Though what I will say, I mean, I've joked a little bit about Kamala Harris and so forth. There are some people whose views I kind of like, but in terms of 
who the Democratic Party is going to end up supporting. I don't think anyone knows. And anyone who says they know is, I think, is more or less full of it based on past history. So I don't know. My concern right now is I wouldn't mind seeing like a, a Kamala Harris type of person be the nominee. I certainly uh, agree with you, Sean, that it should be a more moderate person. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, Jay, what do you think on the Republican side? That John Kasich question, you want to answer that or tackle well, that? Well, first, I want, I want to think, yeah, get, get your thoughts on the sort of the Oprah boomlet of the last week. Now, this question came in uh, like a couple weeks ago um, uh, before the uh, sort of Oprah speech and hinting it that she might run. But God, um, you know, it's it's I, I I think I think people are right in the sense that I honestly believe that in in some ways. Uh, Oprah is the mirror image of a Donald Trump type person, but I, I, you know, I don't question Oprah's empathy. I think her life story is incredibly inspiring, and I think she's done an awful lot of good. But I actually believe that professionals, that elites, that people with decades of experience in policy, those are the people that should be running the country. Uh, we can find people who have those sort of qualities of empathy and, and, and straight talk or what have you. But I think fundamentally, I'm interested in basic experience and qualifications, qualifications for the job. Because what we've learned, I think, is that this is a hugely important job. The learning curve is incredibly steep. And I don't care how smart you are, going from zero to, you know, 100, that's, that's too much to ask of anyone. And so... No, I certainly, well, I don't think that Oprah's going to be the nominee, and I certainly hope that she's not going to be for that reason. Yeah, I don't think she'd be the nominee either. I don't think she's going to run, um, uh, uh, and I think if she did, she'd be an absolutely horrible candidate. Uh, I I don't mean that in in a partisan sense of, oh, I think she's a terrible person. I I think she would suffer from some of the same afflictions that Trump did, and uh, again, never having done this before. um, uh, But I think think our... our, uh, listener is correct uh that the best hope if i were the democrats putting together a, who do we want i would look for someone who is a uh, midwestern uh moderate democrat governor um or or, or western or southern or uh, again someone in that mold uh, i think that's the kind of uh kind of person um that uh that could best square off against uh, donald trump on the case of question um I think there's something interesting going on. I mean, uh, uh, John Kasich is uh, still the the Kasich for America uh, pack is still out there. Uh, they solicit me pretty frequently. Uh, I get emails from him. Um, you know, I don't think it's directly typed from him uh, to me every day, but, but I get them in my inbox. Um, and uh, whether he runs or not, I think he's certainly keeping his options open. Um, uh, my sense is that that uh, he wants to be uh, there in case there is some sort of Trump implosion, uh, or if if he feels it necessary, uh, if, if Trump somehow goes so far off the rails that uh, he wants we want to have a, a different candidate. I I don't I don't think um, Kasich would run as an independent. I think he's he's you know spent his life as a Republican and uh, is so identified uh, with the Republican Party. Uh, that he would he would run a a Republican uh, primary if if that were the case that he was actually going to run, um, but I, I agree he is he's still in the mix, uh, and I think what he's doing is is keeping his options open and and raising a war chest so that those options will be open. 
Yep, that sounds that that would be that would be kind of my guess as well. And of course, I I said during the campaign uh, during the primary season that yeah, uh, I, I would hope that uh, if if any of these any of these Republicans had to be the nominee, and someone did. Uh, I was I was hoping it'd be Kasich because worst case scenario, I thought he'd be better than any of the other ones, though not somebody. I don't know. That would have been a tough choice for me, uh, Kasich Clinton. But that goes back to a whole lot of history and issues I have with uh, with Hillary Clinton. That's maybe another story for another time. So anyway, uh, on that note, that I think about does it for this week. And hey, if you have a comment, question, uh, correction for us, you want us to address, just send us an email at mail at politicsguys.com or you can message us on the Facebook Politics Guys page. You know, we won't, well, we won't get to every email on the air. We most definitely will try to personally respond to everything we get. And, you know, there are some issues that you raise that are bigger issues. We'll try to tackle them in some other way, but we really do appreciate the feedback. It's hugely helpful to us. and, And thanks very much for that. So that does it for this episode. Thanks everyone for listening. We do hope you like what you heard and just remind you that listener support is what keeps us going. So uh, if you're interested in joining our really great group of Politics Guys supporters, you can go to politicsguys.com and click on either the Patreon or PayPal links. And if you want to support the show without spending anything, it would be great if you could share this episode with your friends and followers or pass along new show posts and tweets on Facebook and Twitter and leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes also does help. Uh, and again, to get in touch with us, mail at politicsguys.com. I can, I can speak. Mail at politicsguys.com, facebook.com slash politicsguys, and our Twitter handle is politicsguys. Also, a quick reminder, our next show will not actually air on Saturday. It will be on Sunday. Just wanted to remind you about that. All right. The executive producers of the Politics Guys, Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Trey Orndorf, and Bruce Johnson. Today's show was produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Sunday. We hope you'll join us.